Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though, so check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958, and Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host... Welcome, everybody, to Nightlight. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can ever guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. We have a treat tonight. We have an amazing lady with us who is an expert in mediumship, one of the things that I absolutely love to do. We have Elaine Kuzmuskas, director of the metaphysics, um, director of the metaphysics, and is a, she is a nationally known spiritual medium. She's conducted many well-publicized seances, including the 1997 official Houdini seance at the Goodspeed Opera House in Haddam, Connecticut, and a seance for the cast of the play Blythe Spirit at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, Connecticut. She's the author of Soul Cycles, Connecticut Ghosts, Seance 101, The Making of a Medium, The Art of Mediumship, The Medium Who Baffled Houdini, and her latest book, uh, Connecticut in the Golden Age of Spiritualism. Obviously an expert here. Recently, she's appeared in the PBS special Things That Go Bump in the Night. She's also been featured on Better Connecticut, the Mark Twain House Theater. She's done Paranormal View, Lilydale Assembly, and Fate Magazine, as well as Coast to Coast. And all of you out there know, I'm sure, that... That the world has not always been kind to those of us who are mediums. We've gone from being venerated and almost worshipped, those were cool times, to being burned at the stake. And uh, the pendulum is now swinging back so that there is greater awareness to mediumship. And certainly in the 1800s, there was an amazing um, amount of, of interest in them and and fascination with them as well and she's going to walk us through a lot of that so welcome to the show elaine hi thank you so much barbara and by the way it's the new england school of metaphysics and people can get information by going to my website www.theartofmediumship that was a wonderful introduction and i thank you for your kind words well, you know, it's it's 
mediums, um, mediumship today is not what it was when I started 50 years ago. And I find it fascinating how it has so evolved. And uh, you're, you're what I would call uh, old school, and that's what I called me as well. And it, it's just, for me, a fasc- it's, it's great to talk to somebody that talks the same language. Um, you know, there, there are people walking around saying, I'm a medium, and, and, you know, after listening to them, you decide they're more of a small than they are a medium for sure. And it, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's, it's an amazing gift. It's a rare talent, and it takes a tremendous amount of commitment in order to be able to do this with sincerity and with clarity. Absolutely, and, Barbara. So true. I know we both came up through the spiritualist churches, and one of the things in the spiritualist churches, you train in a mediumship development circle where you attend with a veteran medium who's usually a clairvoyant. And in my case, I study with Reverend Gladys Custins, who was a clairvoyant, and she was a trans medium. So all our lessons were given through the professor, her guide. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. She would go into trans for an hour and do a lesson with us. And she would also had an incredible amount of ectoplasm, even though she would not call herself a physical medium. She did produce a great many lights, fragrances, and sounds in the seance room. So we had a wonderful time in our Friday night development circle in Boston. Well, you know, before we go any further, I, I think it's important to let people know that there are different kinds of mediums. And you want to kind of go into the different kinds there are? Yes, of course. Well, I'm going to start with the National Association of Spiritualist Churches. Uh, it says there are uh, two types of mediums. One is a mental medium, which contacts spirit through the senses of clairvoyance, that's seeing spirit, clairaudience, hearing spirit, and clairsentience, feeling spirit. And then there is a what is called a physical medium that contacts spirit through table tipping, uh, slate writing, the old timers did, more modern uh-huh. ones use psychic photography, and of course we have electronic voice phenomena today. Now, originally, this is another fascinating, spiritualism began with physical mediumship. As I always say to my students, in 1848 was great because that's when the Fox sisters contacted the spirit of Mr. Splitthroat through rappings. And that is how it really did begin. Uh, Many people don't realize that. And then it began to evolve. Now, these little girls, and they were young. They were like 11 and uh, 12 years old, very young girls, were just playing as children do in the basement of their home. And they got heard raps, and they began to play with the raps. And they had a code, like one rap would be yes, two raps would be no, and three raps would be maybe. Now, have you ever heard spirit raps, Barbara? I have. I have. It's amazing. Um, They're not subtle. They're not little taps. I was having tea one day at the parish house at Onset at the First Spiritualist Church with a lovely lady, uh, Lori, who was a spiritualist minister herself. And we were just having a cup of tea and chatting. It was a very pleasant afternoon. And all of a sudden, the china cabinet started rapping. I mean, really rapping. 
Wow. I, I was rather, uh, I was in my early 20s, and it's the first time I heard spirit raps. I was afraid the china was going to break, and Lori said, oh, no, that's my husband in spirit. He used to be an Episcopal minister, and every now and then he likes to come through and say hello. Oh, wow. And I just had to laugh. And as soon as we started talking to him and telling uh, her the spirit of her deceased husband that we were glad to see him and we welcomed him to the parish house, the raps calmed down. And she, Lori Kirkpatrick told me a really cute story. Her husband was a minister, and he was also a missionary. And so she had quite a, a, a background in the traditional Protestant churches. But then she discovered spiritualism, and he was always dead set against it. Because being a traditional minister, he didn't feel there was any need to talk to people on the other side, and he wasn't really sure if it could be done. Uh-huh. Well, after he died, Lori, and this is true of many widows, after her husbands die, you have to shift. You, uh, you have to begin to think in a different direction. Um, and she began to say, well, I've always wanted to be a minister myself. So she became an ordained spiritualist minister. Uh-huh. And her husband from the other side of life began to contact her more. <laughs> and he was frequently around the parish house because she lived in the parish house. And so that was the first time I heard spirit raps. And I'd read about them, but they are very loud. They definitely have intelligence to them, and they respond to our thoughts. Immediately, we started talking to the spirit and sending good thoughts out, and he calmed down, and the rap stopped. So, spiritually, you know, you at least had, yeah, with the the rapping, you you at least had the intelligence to know what was happening the first time. Yes, I was moving at the parish house. Because I was trained to be a spiritualist minister, mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I stayed um, at the first spiritualist church at Onset for about four months, and I lived in the parish house with Lori. They were very kind. And, of course, I worked part-time, but I also helped the church. So I got to see many, many wonderful ministers and mediums work as workers, but also socially, which was a lot of fun because... Many mediums have a different persona when they are out in the backyard having a cigarette as opposed to on the pulpit. Oh, sure. And one of the, yes. Uh, of course, and it was fun being a young lady to see all this. And one of the most delightful people was a Connecticut medium by the name of Reverend Calista Rita. She was a Portuguese lady. She came from the Norwich, Connecticut area. And she was a full trance medium. When she got up to speak, this little lady, five foot nothing, bouffant hairdo, looked like a grandmother, very sweet, would have a deep man's voice and would speak in a very authoritarian language, uh, very different from her personality in the everyday world. It was always fascinating to go to Reverend Callista Rita's sermons because you never knew who was giving the sermon. Uh, And then she would be out in the backyard talking with her friend, Mrs. Russell, and they'd be having a cigarette. They loved to smoke and chat. So I had a chance to ask her about her life, and she was very kind. Many of the ministers, I have to say, went out of their way to help me, to encourage me, to give me uh, their blessings to continue this work. So she told me how she became a spiritualist medium and minister. As a little girl, she was born with the gift of clairvoyance, and she would see spirits, and she would see them very clearly. Now, I know this is true because I also was born with clairvoyance, Uh and she was afraid of it, 
in my case, I had an Irish grandmother that was quite psychic, so I was not afraid of it, but uh, Mrs. Rita was. And uh, she said she would be worried sick about seeing all these spirits. So finally, she had to tell someone. She'd been keeping it inside for many months. And she told her mother, who was a staunch Catholic lady of good faith, and she was irate because, of course, the Catholic Church sees this as the work of the devil. Mm -hmm. Well, spirit took over and put little Callista Rita in trance, and she began to speak. Uh, her dead relatives began to speak through her, and they, she was so authentic that her mother never daughter, doubted her daughter's gift, and she gave a little uh, Callista her blessing, which is important. So at least oh, she had yeah. one person who she could talk to and share this with. And I know there are many people out there that have children that aren't gifted, and they're not quite sure what to do. I would say they need your love and support, and just listen to them. Well, because yeah, I, many, that's all I, they I, need to consider. I agree with you, because um, in I sat in a spiritual development circle um, in Connecticut here um, with, with uh, the Reverend um, Mel Smith, and... Um, his his wife Dorothy occasionally would come out with us after the um, after the class, and she would tell about how how horrified she was that she was going to have to come to the colonies when she married Melvin. Um, <laughs> but, she, but but when she got up to speak in church, Master Light is the guy that came through her, and Wonderful. she was a completely different person. And um, it is amazing. And, and what is phenomenal is if you can see someone who truly is authentically doing this work, it's, it's profoundly moving. But there are so many people out there that, that um, play at it and, and actually, actually don't have a spirit guide behind them or anything. And, and you know, it's... It's important to find, and to, if you have some a child who is seeing spirits or, or a young person who is seeing spirits, it's important to go to the right place to get the right training. Um, and, and I would always, always recommend people, especially with, with mediumship, that they go to a spiritualist church. Because this is, yeah, this is not something that you can learn from a book, and it's not something you can learn in a five-piece five workshop or anything like this. That this is something... on the internet. <laughs> a lot oh, of yeah, people no. take their mediumship training on the internet. That is dangerous. No, that's a little horrifying. But but it I is. have to tell you, I just I finished your your most recent book, and you know the uh, um, Connecticut in the Golden Age of Spiritualism. And I have to tell you, um, among other, th I, first of all, I think it was a phenomenal book. I had no idea that as many people came from Connecticut in this field as as apparently they did. And yes, they did. the one of the most exciting things that I saw that, that I highlighted and I chuckled about, it turns out Hillary Clinton is not the first woman to run for president. No, she isn't. And I have to say the very first woman to run for president was also president of the National Spiritualist Association. <laughs> no. Her name was Victoria Woodhull, and she was quite a looker, as well as a very excellent stockbroker. They used to call she and her sister, Tennessee, the bewitching stockbrokers. 
and she also was very passionate about women's rights. She uh-huh. felt a woman should have the right to marry the person she loved. And that got her into a great deal of hot water in Victorian times. Yeah, we're talking 18... 60s, I, I, yeah. In the 1860s. So, so Hillary has not really broken a glass ceiling. It was broken long ago by a, a medium from Connecticut. <laughs> and you know, think... she actually uh, was very much interested in helping um, with, uh, the blacks in those days because she chose a black gentleman, um, Frederick Douglass, as her vice president, as her running mate. I know. So she, she was, was quite interesting. She was way ahead of her time. Many ways she was, and but she but she was very very savvy about her life because she was brought up by the seat of her petticoat. She really had a rather difficult childhood, impoverished family. Her father was a little bit of a huckster, um, and she had to learn very early on that to, to take care of herself. She married Doc Woodhull, who was um, uh, a, do- a doctor. But he was also a horrible alcoholic, and he abandoned uh, Victoria and their newborn baby and just left her in a rooming house by herself for days without food or money. Somebody took, uh, felt sorry for her, and the spirits told her and her sister to leave him and to go to New York City to seek their fortune. Well, she had nothing to lose, and so these no. two young ladies went to New York, and they were fortunate because of their gift at clairvoyance and psychic ability uh, to meet some very prominent stockbrokers, and that's how they got into that uh, aspect of their life. and became fairly successful with it. Well, in the um, 1800s, especially mediumship and, and especially trance mediums were mm-hmm. were all the rage. I mean, it it, it seems as I mean the White House, um, Abraham Lincoln. There was there were seances there that Mrs. Lincoln. Um, had and and I can't remember the medium, but um, well, it was a Connecticut lady from the Hartford area. She grew up in Tallinn and she lived in surrounding communities. Her name was Nettie Coburn, and Nettie Coburn was um, a, a natural trans medium. Uh, she and her family tried uh, table tipping and she was immediately successful at it, and then. Her father tested her, and she would answer questions because she was very psychic. And then she went into the trance aspect of her work and became a lecturer. She did lectures in Windsor, Connecticut, in nearby New York, Albany, and Uh became very well known. But like many mediums, she was shy. Many mediums are introverted and shy because we're more inward people. And... Uh, she didn't really want her to go to the White House or to meet President Lincoln. But of necessity, she went to Washington during the Civil War to plead for her brother who had been injured in the Union Army and wanted him to come home. So that she plucked her courage. She got on the train from Hartford to Washington, D.C., and tried to plead his case. And she met some influential spiritualists who introduced her to Mary Lincoln. Now, Mary Todd Lincoln was quite interesting one. Um, she had a very, very sad time in the White House because she lost her son, Willie died. Uh-huh. And this 
the grief you feel when you lose a child never really completely goes away. And she was so grief struck. At one time, President Lincoln put his arm around his wife and he pointed to the insane asylum in the distance. And he said, Mother, if you can't take control of yourself, we may have to send you there. He, he oh, was my. very worried, very, very worried about her. And so she went to Mrs. Laurie's house in uh, Georgetown in, um, to a seance with Nettie Colbert. And she was so impressed, she invited Nettie Colbert to the White House to give a seance. Now, she came, but she was extremely nervous. So her guides put her into trance, and amazing things happened when she was in trance. Um, the spirit of deceased senators came through. General Knox made his appearance in spirit. And the piano in the Red Room actually levitated. And several of the people there who were Washington, D.C. politicians and senators jumped on the piano trying to keep it from hitting the ceiling. Uh, the force was so great and so powerful. And we are fortunate because Nettie Coburn, who later became Nettie Coburn Maynard, in her last years suffered from arthritis, and she was really not able to do as much work. But she always maintained her psychic abilities. And she dictated a book, which is still can be in reprinted form called, Was Abraham Lincoln a Spiritualist? And she gives a verbatim account of the seances of the White House. I think it's interesting. Very few Lincoln historians will even mention her name or have any inclination that there could have been some uh, psychic activity at the White House. Well, didn't she give him advice about the war, too? Yes. Now, we have to set the uh, stage here. When the Civil War began, many people did not think it was going to last more than maybe six weeks. People mm -hmm. actually would pack hampers and sit on the banks of the Potomac to watch for the war because it was going to be over soon. They wanted to see some of it. So it was not really well organized. Uh, the Union troops were rather disorganized, and Lincoln was told by spirit to go to the troops in person and plead the case for the war and to take no advisors with him because the spirits knew a lot of Lincoln's advisors were working against him. So he was to tell no one, just he and Mrs. Lincoln were to go and he was to talk to the troops. And he pleaded the court, uh, the case so eloquently that they picked up the six-foot-two president and they carried him around the camp. And they were much more unified after that talk. He also was given information regarding the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. Now, Lincoln, I know he's always painted as this kindly person, and he was kind, but he was a pretty shrewd politician, too. That's how he got to be president. Mm -hmm. And he knew he had to be very careful about when he put out the Emancipation Proclamation. And he was inclined to wait a bit on it. He really was. He thought, we don't need to put more oil in the fire. <laughs> but Spirit absolutely told him to immediately give the proclamation, to stand firm on his belief that it would be the crowning achievement of his presidency, and it really was. So he was he did they didn't write it, but they encouraged him, and he got a lot of spiritual encouragement. 
Uh, he, Abraham Lincoln was a little bit of a fatalist, though. Um, he always said, I will live as long as God wants me to, because Mary Todd Lincoln was had some psychic ability, and she had premonitions of Lincoln dying in office, and she would tell him about dreams, and he would just, you know, brush them aside. But Abraham Lincoln had an incredible psychic dream where he saw himself walking downstairs in the White House. And he came to the rotunda, and there was a coffin. And there were four armed guards. And he stopped, and he asked who had died. And they uh -huh. told the president. So he, I guess you'd call that remote viewing today. I guess he, you would, yeah, definitely. He saw his own uh, death. He saw his death and his, um, his demise. And I think that he just did not allow anything to keep him from what he considered to be his mission. Um, he absolutely is my favorite president, and I always I read almost everything about Abraham Lincoln because I, I think there was a fundamentally good quality to Abraham Lincoln, which I'm sad to say we don't always see in presidents. You know, he was a shrewd politician, but I think he had at heart a, a true love of justice and fairness. And I think he really uh, wanted to bind up the, uh, the wounds of the country and have a unified country after the Civil War. Unfortunately, he didn't get a chance. He didn't get those years that he would have liked. But he certainly did a great deal to, to encourage fairness in our country. Yeah, so there's a lot. And Nettie Colbert Maynard absolutely grew up in Hartford. She practiced her mediumship in the Hartford area. And she also was invited to the White House, not once, but many times to give seances. Elaine, may I interrupt you for a second? This is Patrick Brown. I'm the producer. I have to yeah. call Barbara back. Um, also, to the people out there, we'll take calls in the second hour. I'm having to have really? a couple of callers. Now, let me get Barbara back into the call. Sure. Let's see if I can. This happens. This is... Par for the course for Skype. Oh. <laughs> so, sorry to interrupt you. It's fascinating what you're saying. I've got Barbara. She's on the window. She's bubbling. I've just got to get No, I don't know why she's not coming back in. Um, Barbara, call me back, okay? Maybe if you call me, um, that, that'll get you in here. Because I tried to add you back, and it did not take. You want Barbara to call you? I want Barbara to call us back, yes. Okay, good. I'll wait a bit. Just well, you can go ahead and go keep on talking if you like, because it's fascinating what you're saying. Well, is it being recorded or can she hear me? Yeah, yeah it's being recorded. All the shows are recorded. And uh Okay, well I'll just continue a little bit then. There's a sense it, she's listening at any rate, she can hear me say please call me back instead of me trying to pull her in because I'm not. Okay. So go ahead, please continue. Oops. Now I need, Elaine, I need you to call back too. <laughs> Let's see if I can call her. No, I can't. I don't think I can answer the call. No. Uh, this is Patrick Anguish. I'm sitting here trying to get people back on the call. It's just me and the server right now. Let me see if I can get Barbara back. 
and then we can get Elaine back. For some reason, she dropped. Now everything's fine otherwise. It's probably just Skype being Skype, but we'll need to get Elaine to call back also. So Elaine, if you can hear me, call me back on the 337-335-0085 that you called in on just a little while ago when you called in initially. And Barbara, I'm trying to pull you back in, but I'm not getting you. Um, if you call me, perhaps, you'll come into the group. Okay, here's Elaine right here. Elaine, you're back. I'm back. So sorry when you said to, I thought you wanted to get off the air, but oh, I'm oh, back on. I'm happy oh, to talk, too. Hey, stay with us. I'm trying to, I'm just working on getting Barbara back. So what I'm saying, because I think Barbara's going to be hearing me anyway, is just for her to call me rather than me trying to haul her back in. But, oh, sure. Well, do you want, to, do you want me just to chat a little bit? Yes, yes, by all means. Okay, I'd be glad to. We were just talking about Abraham Lincoln, who's one of my favorite presidents. And I, I think it's interesting that so many times uh, we forget that our presidents do have an interest in psychic activity. And Abraham Lincoln was not the only president to invite a psychic to the White House. We had three. Franklin Delano Roosevelt invited Dean Dixon to the White House. And in her autobiography, she tells how she had to smuggle her crystal ball under her fur stove because Dean Dixon did scrying. She would look into a crystal ball and she would see pictures. And one of the things, this was in 1944, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt asked Jean Dixon how long he had to live. And she put her uh, forefinger to her thumb and she said, just a little bit. And he did die within uh, the next two-year period. So she was quite an interesting psychic to visit the White House. And, of course, Nancy Reagan consulted with an astrologer who wrote a book called What Does Nancy Say? And it told about how she frequently gave advice on uh, when to have public events to keep her husband out of harm's way. And her astrologer's name was a San Francisco lady by the name of Joan Quigley. So we do know that, uh, that people in high office do have an interest in the psychic field and the occult and they use it not to make uh, not to make their decisions, not to take over their job, but for extra information. And I think that Nancy Reagan was very concerned about the 20-year cycle of death because uh, every 20 years a president would die in office, and the next, and these are presidents that were elected in uh, like 1960, John F. Kennedy. Uh, it went all the way back to Lincoln. Uh, he was elected in 1860. And the next person, of course, was her husband, Ronald Reagan, 1980. But I do feel the fact that she did use astrology really did change some of the astrological aspects. Because when the worst aspects were occurring, Ronald Reagan was not having public meetings. So that's a little bit about the occult and the White House. I'm back. Oh, I'm so glad you're back. I was just talking a little bit. I don't know if you heard me about the occult and the White House. Yeah, because, it's, uh, 
it, it's, you know, there's, there's more that's gone on. I'm so sorry. All I can say is the spirits are playing with us. That's all. Well, I know. And, you know, also it's hard to know. There's a lot of stuff going on everywhere. <laughs> that's very, very true. Um, have you, I, I'm curious. I, I think this last book that you've written, um, <clears throat> um, you know, with the, the Golden Age of Spiritualism in Connecticut, I think it's a fabulous book. I really do, because um, there's so much going on, um, mm-hmm. or has been going on. Uh, not so much anymore, but um, it, it does feel as though the 1800s was just a time when, especially the physical mediums. Um, yes, I think it's true. And the Golden Age would have started about the 1850s to about 1928. Uh, it's really, in Victorian times, table tipping was the rage. People were doing it uh, as a parlor game. They were getting together for circles and tipping tables, and they were also getting together to meet to contact spirits. It was very, very strong, both in the United States and in England as well. Now, um, I know that, that um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was, was a spiritualist or interested in in metaphysics anyhow, and a number of other people. I mean, you, you go back to um, the, the Oracle of Delphi, and they went into full trance and answered, mm-hmm. answered questions. So that, so that mediumship in and of itself has been around for a very long time. But, but the physical mediumship, to me, fascinates me. I have seen it personally myself uh, where where something really weird happened twice i went out to a party with a friend of mine and when we came back home all of the living room furniture had been moved into the center of the room my goodness that's fascinating and, and i took a look at it and i said that's very clever now put it back i'm going to bed and in the morning everything was back where it belonged and oh, right. within about two weeks later, I heard this sound in the living room, and it was just me and, and the cats, and it was kathump, kathump, kathump. And, and I got up, and I went to look because I didn't recognize. It wasn't a frightening sound. And I turned the, the light on in the living room, and there was a tissue, a Kleenex, that was floating in midair. And it was floating up and down, and the cats were jumping after it. So whoever it was 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 playing with the cats. And, and I watched for a good 15 or 20 minutes, and I finally said, you know, I have to go to sleep, and if you keep doing this, I won't be able to sleep. I appreciate it, but do it when I'm not here. And the you know tissue just... No, I have not got the faintest idea. I was I didn't. definitely a woman, I felt. A woman, and it was a woman who loved cats. Yeah, it had to be a grandmother, probably. An older woman, somebody who loved cats, and she didn't realize that you saw her. Um, well, you know, it was, and the cats just looked at me like, why did you do that? And, you know, it was, it's, it's a right. One time my husband uh, was away for a couple of weeks, and I was a little nervous, and I I'm not used to always being home by myself, so I said to my guides before I went to sleep, will you please send some extra help tonight? So when I woke up, I saw a very tall Iroquois Indian standing at my bed. And the minute he knew I saw him, he disappeared because he really didn't want to scare me. So I think what happened with that elderly lady playing with your cat, she didn't realize you saw her, but when you started talking to her, she stopped. 
Because oh, yeah. spirits don't want it. The most spirits, the majority of spirits are helpful people. They like to have fun. They will help you in many ways. And if you let them know you're uncomfortable, they respond. Many times when I do mediumship work on the platform, they may come in too strong. Uh-huh. And I have to just send the thought out, could you stand back? Or when I'm doing mediumship readings in my office in Suffield, I usually ask the spirits to line up on my right so that the ones that are most important will come in first and we can do it in an orderly manner because sometimes you get a whole room and everybody wants to talk at once and it's very hard to have clarity. And clarity is very important in mediumship. You oh, absolutely. Messages. I, I was on the platform. I was on the platform once in the spiritualist church, and there was a woman in the in the front pew, and and usually the front pew were the big supporters of the church, so mm-hmm. so you were always told make sure you hit them if you get something for them, and I said mm-hmm. to one of the women, your husband is here, and she crossed her arms and she said, all right, tell me about him, and I gave her point after point after point after point of of identifying criteria. And she said, yeah, all right, yeah, all right. And she looked at me and she said, no, you're missing something very important here. And I said, you really don't want me to say that in front of all these people, do you? And she said, yes, I do. And um, I said, well, when he walked by you, he pinched you in the butt. And she said, yep, you got him. so cute. That is cute. But I was black and blue because he'd been pinching me all the time. He was trying to get through. Their spirits do come through with their own personality. I know one time I was doing uh, readings, and I get names like John and Jim and Judy. And I was thinking, Spirit, could you just give me an unusual name? And so they were very kind. They gave me the name Buster. And I said to the gentleman, Buster's here. And then the energy went down to my knees, and I said, Buster's a dog, isn't it? He goes, yeah, my dog Buster died last week. <laughs> so they did give you an unusual day. But, you know, dogs like to come through, too. Cats oh, absolutely. 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 Their owners know that they're okay. Now, um, for those of you who are calling in, um, um, for 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 a reading, we're going to be doing readings the last half hour. So if you'll you'll try not to bug poor Patrick until then, that would be that would be just great. Last um, half hour. I thought yeah, last hour. I'm sorry. I was saying. I was, okay. Last okay. half hour. I'll change what I'm saying in the chat. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to share more with the stories of the golden age of spiritualism. Um, one of the things I enjoyed doing was doing primary research. I went to the Harriet Beecher Stowe house, uh-huh. and I went over the documents of Harriet Beecher Stowe and her half-sister, Isabella Beecher Hooker. And uh, very few people realize this, but Harriet Beecher Stowe and her husband, Captain Calvin Stowe, were very staunch spiritualists. Uh-huh. And her husband, um, Captain Stowe, wrote for... Uh, Two Worlds Magazine, the spiritualist publication. The two of them, um, this was a second marriage for Calvin Stowe, and he, they used to keep a picture of his first wife on the piano. They, they felt very comfortable honoring her. Uh, Mark Twain was quite a character. And they were he, next door neighbors. They were neighbors, and he used to say about the afterlife, I am silent on the subject. 
because of necessity, I have friends in both places. I think he was very witty, but Mark Twain didn't really um, completely disbelieve, but he didn't completely believe. And early in his career, he had been a newspaper reporter out west in San Francisco, and he had seen a physical medium work by the name of Ada. And she, if you ever saw the old-time physical mediums, they would shake, they would shimmer, tables would tip. I mean, it could be quite a sideshow. And I think he thought that it was a little too dramatic to be real. So he wrote a rather humorous account about her. But I, later in life, he became much more sensitive to spirit through the many losses he suffered. He lost his beloved wife. Uh, he also lost his two daughters, um, Susie Clements died in the Mark Twain house on Forest Street at the age of 21 for meningitis. And then later he lost his daughter, Jean, to epilepsy. She drowned in the bathtub. She, she was an epileptic. Wow. So well, for those, for those who live in Connecticut, um, the Mark Twain house is a house that, that has been preserved, and there are tours that you can go on through it. And, and especially during this particular time frame, they 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 address the more spiritual aspects of the house. Oh, they do. I did a seance in the Mark Twain house two years ago. We oh. after I did a theater performance where I, I did a, a program on seance one on one physical mediumship, uh-huh. and then afterwards, about ten o'clock at night, we uh, they uh, Jacques Lamont opened Lamar opened the Mark Twain house for us, and we went into the parlor and we had a round table. We had twelve people. And we did some table tipping, got some wraps and some movement, and we contacted the spirit of one of the most prominent of the Clement family, and that was Susie Clements came through. And I think that was very appropriate because that was the last place that she called home. So oh, yeah. I'm very familiar with the Mark Twain house. And I think that very few people realize this, but Mark Twain's wife, Olivia, was cured by a spiritualist healer. Yes, she was. She was an invalid. And as an invalid, she, she couldn't walk for two years. She was bedridden. And they used to have some very interesting cures. They used to feel that maybe women who were hysterical should stay in bed for like two years. I don't know how much that's going to help you, but certainly, finally, um, her father contacted a a remarkable spiritual healer uh-huh. to come and to work with her and to see if they could get her back to health. Um, and the interesting thing is his name was Dr. James Roger Newton. And he was able to, in um very short time, to get her walking again and returned her totally to health. And her father was very grateful, and he did, of course, pay Dr. Newton quite a sum of money for the healing. But in my chapter six in Connecticut in the Golden Age of Spiritualism, I talk about his remarkable spiritualist healings because he did come to Connecticut several times in the Hartford area, New Haven area as well. He primarily did laying on of hands healing where he would talk to the person and put hands on them and transfer spiritual energy. And it wasn't just one or two people that were cured by him. Hundreds of people gave their testimony in the New Haven Courier, 
1863, uh, one person wrote um, how he had been cured, and he said that uh, he had been troubled with a throat difficulty that seriously interfered with articulation, reducing his voice to a mere whisper. During all this time, he's not spoken a loud word, and yet after one healing session with um, the uh, healer, Dr. James Roger Newton, he was completely cured. And I've listed several cases, remarkable cases of spiritual healings that were verified uh, by people in the Hartford, New Haven, Bristol, Enfield area throughout our, our region. So I think spiritualist healing was very important in the Victorian era as well. Yeah, in many places they called it magnetic healing, which I found yeah, interesting. Because they felt it was a transfer of energy uh-huh. from one person to another. Um, one lady uh, talked about how important it was in her life. Her name was uh, Mrs. Lee uh, F. Wright, and she wrote in November 21st, 1863, from Bristol, Connecticut, to Dr. Newton, Dear Sir, God bless you. It has been three weeks now since I was healed. It is 18 years since I became confirmed invalid and six years since I could walk. My friends are astonished to see me so well. My sister, Eddie, who was bedfast, she continues to do well, as, and some say this is the work of the devil. If so, they better change their doxology. I've received a great blessing. I almost feel like one risen from the dead. I've got great testimony. Oh, yeah, and, no, uh, I... I've read a lot of them, and and they are phenomenal. Um, who is, out of curiosity, who is the lady in white that's been cited in the Shoreline Cemetery? Oh, that is interesting. In my book, Connecticut Ghosts, I do talk about um, the lady in white. I first read about her from uh, the Warrens. Lorraine and Ed Warren talked about her. Uh-huh. and. She's a lady that is dressed in white that many people see walking in Union Cemetery. And Our Lady of the Rosary is another place in Monroe that she's been spotted. Now, I went to both cemeteries. I did not, I have to be honest, I did not see the lady in white, but I got an incredible amount of orb pictures. Uh, I had my friend, Dr. Susan Roberts, with me, her nephew, uh, Richard Doak, who's a photographer, and myself, and we all had different cameras, and we we got the same ore pictures. We got over 40 ore pictures. So both cemeteries, Our Lady of the Rosary in Monroe and Union Cemetery in Eastern Connecticut, have a great deal of paranormal activity. And for the most part, I felt the spirits were friendly. I really did. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't consider friendly ghosts hauntings. Um, no, I didn't. I think they're there to let us know that they're around and they're still around cemeteries. Often come in just to reassure their loved ones they're around. Absolutely. Well, now, um, in one of the questions you sent me that I found fascinating was, um, what is the most haunted town in the United States? And that happens to be the most haunted town in the United States is in Connecticut. And it's Dudley Town. Oh, yes. Oh, I've been there. You have. I have. 
And it does have a very eerie quality. It's in a beautiful area, Litchfield County. It's um, right. It it is. It's it's. I went there. I went there because I'd heard so much about it, and I, you know, I'm going to say I hiked in, but that's a lie because we just strolled in. I had no idea how far in off the road it was. And um, the most fascinating thing about Dudley Town is you're walking in deep forest, for sure. Oh, you are. Yeah, and you are. There, there are no bugs at all. There are no it's flies. It's a death zone. No it bugs, is. no animals. Now, my Nothing. husband's a naturalist. He grew up on a farm. He spent a lot of time hunting and fishing in his youth, hiking. Uh-huh. And he's been in the woods a lot. He went in, uh, to Dudley Town and did some of the research, and Ron said it was a dead zone. There were no animals, no, no insects, nothing. And he said a lot of the trees had bark taken off them for no apparent reason. He couldn't figure that out. Uh, when you go to Dudley Town, there are two things you've got to remember, is they do change the name of the road. It was Dudley Town Road. When I was about 10 years ago, it was Bear Mountain Road, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's been changed since. Uh, the residents uh, of the area do not really like people visiting Dudley Town, so they're very apt to give you misdirections, so it takes a while to figure out where it is. Yeah. And once you get there, there are, all, there are like six signs posted saying you're only allowed to park for 15 minutes. After that, if the car is left, it'll be towed. So I had to stay in our car, our SUV, while my husband did the research. But he did verify what you said, that it is definitely a dead zone. It's and he the did most- hike way into the woods. We took pictures. I sat in the car, and I, I went into a, my mediumship and felt the trance energy. And the energy is very discordant. It's like, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's like you feel when you get angry. You know, like yeah. before, people get very irritable. It was that type of energy. And, and the story about Dudley Town is basically that everybody either went crazy or everybody killed everybody else. Well, it's, there was a lot of illness to begin with. People got sick for mysterious reasons. A Civil uh-huh. War general, actually, his wife went insane, and he uh, had a lot of problems. And then the last resident was a doctor from New York City who came to Dudley Town. And he had to leave. They had a beautiful, they built a beautiful home, and he left his wife there. He was gone a few days, and when he came back, she was insane. So he brought yeah. her back to New York City, hoping that would calm her down. And she very sadly committed suicide. So after that, that just people did not want to really spend much time in Dudley Town. Now, <laughs> I did a lot of research on it, and they there are two theories, and I think they're interesting. One theory is that the three Dudley brothers from England may have inadvertently built the town over an American Indian burial ground. And the American Indians were very protective of their burial grounds. And the other, which I think is very interesting, is that one of the brothers um, tried to assassinate the monarchy, and they feel that the monarchy may have put a curse on the Dudley family, and then they fled England to get out of trouble and they brought the curse with them. Uh, it's interesting. Um, uh, Dudley Town is quite close to New York, and at uh-huh. one time they were attacked by American Indians, and they brought uh, several young people back to New York State. And uh, 
one survived. He was a young man, and he married an American Indian woman and later became very educated and wrote about his experience. And he seemed to, to uh, survive the curse, so maybe it was the American Indian. Uh, well, there, the there's, also, there's also the theory that there is a tremendous amount of iron in the Could water, be. in in the rocks, and and stuff like that. Now, a lot of iron could easily throw off the magnetism that's in our body because we are electromagnetic beings. There definitely so, is something wrong magnetic there. That I can vouch for. Oh yeah, no, it was <laughs> it was you know we strolled in and and when I'm talking deep woods, I'm talking trees that are a couple hundred feet high and, and 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 huge and there are logging roads also it's it's real close to a logging road and and it's but but it's not just your normal natural little woods that you see along the side of the road this is deep woods and and they actually have um trees marked for where the trail is and and isn't and um to be honest with you, we wandered in circles for a little bit coming back, and the only way we could find our way back was somebody was cutting wood in their backyard, and we followed the sound of the saw. Well, so it's it, a very it, wise thing to do. It's you disorienting. Know, right, and there are stories all over the Internet of people that have camped in Dudley Town because Dudley Town abuts the state forest. Uh, one woman, Celine Smith of New Haven, said that uh, they said she could feel evil there as well. And she said, according to Smith, a couple recently went camping in Dudley Town with another couple, and they returned home with tragic results. The wife, the more sensitive of the two, began to hear voices after wow. she came home. And the voices were not of the kind that you want to hear. There were voices telling her that her husband was cheating on her. And despite the bewildered husband's protest, uh, she filed for divorce. So the wow. spirits there are not the most friendly. And, you know, spirits can be either uh, good, positive, or neutral. Uh, that is why it's very important to develop your mediumship under proper supervision because you want to bring in the positive guide and forces that come in to uplift and help us. If yeah. you can't think of anything else, think of Jesus and Mother Mary. We want high energy. Yeah, and then, there are also yeah. mischievous spirits that come in, like poltergeist. Sure. That come in. I talk about in um, Connecticut in the Golden Age of Spiritualism about the Stratford poltergeist. Oh, and yeah. Fun story. The Stratford poltergeist was um, actually took place in the home of Reverend Phelps. And Reverend Phelps was a very prosperous minister. And he was in his second marriage. He had a young child, and his wife had a couple of children. And he went one day to go to church. And as a good Christian, of course, he locked his front door. And when he came back, they were very surprised to see clothes thrown everywhere and everything in disarray. So he called the police, and nothing had been taken. But they noted what happened. And then this happened another time even though the door was locked. So nobody had broken in. Some, somehow this thing had occurred. And then other things happened that were very strange. They would be at the dinner table, 
And forks and knives would be lifted by invisible hands and would start flying around the room. Well, he was very, very upset about this. And he could not bear it any longer. So he called on his son, Austin Phelps, to come home from Boston. He was studying to be a minister. And he also was there. And he stood guard at the children's door. And he noticed unexplainable incidences. Spoons would fly out of pots right on the table. Sometimes the spoons were bent. One day at dinner, a package of six or eight silver spoons were all at once taken up and doubled or bet, doubled in size with no visible agency. Oh, wow. Elaine, we're gonna, you're going to hear music in just a few minutes. And okay. That's, that's going to signal our break. So just you know, keep talking until the music, and then we'll sure. finish it up on the other side. Yes, well, those of you who have the book, this is on page 37 of Connecticut in the Golden Age of Spiritualism. And later, the twisted spoons, which had been locked in the closet, when the closet was open, they were found perfectly straight with no signs of ever having been bent onto. According to Austin Phelps, there were dozens of such incidences, so it wasn't just one thing. So the Stratford Totergeist really upset everyone. And I think personally that it was the work of Goody Bassett because Goody Bassett was a Stratford woman who had been hung very close to where the um, South Mansion was. And it was a mansion uh, about 150 years earlier. And I could just see Goody Phelps looking at the place where she was hung turn into this fabulous mansion for a Protestant minister. (laughs) And she had been... Uh, really rigged and humiliated by the Protestant churches in uh, in Puritan times and just said, I have had enough. They're building a beautiful home with a double staircase in the same place that you hung me. You're not going to get away with it. So I do think it was Goody Bassett that was the perpetrator. But very okay. interesting <laughs> things did happen and fully documented, fully documented. Wow. We'll, we'll be back in about three to five minutes, so don't go away, everybody, and we'll be back. This is Nightlight, and if you like what you're hearing, click over to the support page and make a donation to help us keep this amazing station up and running. Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com is totally listener-supported. From the owner to the host to the producers, who we can't live without, to the staff, all are working here because we love the work and are dedicated to putting out quality material for all of you. Be it large or small, every donation is greatly appreciated and helps us all keep on supplying information and material to educate and enlighten you that isn't found anywhere else. Um, Elaine, I, I know that most people, most mediums especially, that, that I have met um, feel that, that, that there is, there, in, in many ways they didn't have 
it, it wasn't a decision that they made that I'm going to be a medium. It, there was a calling. And I think that's true. Yeah. And and so uh, you, you know, I I never intended to do this work. I you know, I, I was a school teacher, and and I had an, a car accident, and it it shoved me into this field full time. But but the mediumship is. Is and I'm not saying that you can't learn to be a medium because certainly you can, but it takes working on yourself first. And right. I think that's that's what a lot of people don't understand that there is that element of um, you have to walk the talk. Yes, and I think uh, that many things. I often say to the students that mediumship is like artistic ability. Some people are born with a certain amount of musical or artistic or creative ability. But you still have to be trained. You still have to know how to use it correctly. Uh-huh. And other people uh, may, may take more time and effort. And there are so many gifts of the spirit. Uh, mediumship is just one. I think healing is a fabulous gift. Inspirational talking is another wonderful gift. Uh, service to humanity is a great gift. There's so many ways that you can uh, work to uh, develop and help others through the spiritual gifts. Uh-huh. Now, the, the one, number one. You know, it, it's the one thing that we haven't covered that is so fascinating. I've never experienced or seen, but I would love to, is there are mediums who levitate. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Uh, one yes. of those things that fascinate me, and I have seen levitation, um, there are... First of all, I'll start with the research I did in uh, Connecticut, my golden age of spiritualism. On the cover, there's a picture of Daniel Douglas Hume levitating. And this uh, was done at the Ward Cheney Mansion in South Manchester, Connecticut. And what he did, he was invited, the Cheneys were very interested in spiritualism. They invited Kate Fox to give seances there. They're a very wealthy, prominent family. And they also invited Daniel Douglas Hume to come up from um, New London. And in the presence of two Hartford Times reporters, he levitated almost to the uh, ceiling. And the force was so strong that they couldn't pull him back. Now, I have been at seances where they've had levitation of tables. And this was done um, in Lilydale. The medium was Kaimugi. And we were all sitting with our hands just gently placed on the table. And the table rose three feet. And I, I, we were sitting. We had to stand up. The force was so great as it went up. And uh, I do believe that levitation is possible. It's a very rare gift, but it can be done. Now, in Daniel Douglas Hume's case, he was a natural medium. Um, things would happen. Raps would happen. He lived with his aunt in London, and she thought it was the work of the devil, Aunt Mary did. And so she brought him to a minister, one minister after another, trying to cure him. And finally, he was a teenager at the time, finally she had to choose between her church and her nephew, and she threw him out. The young teenager is about 18 or 19. And he is ended he, up living. Is he the one that, 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 that literally went out one third-story uh, window and came in another one? 
Yes, that was Daniel Douglas Hume. He did find friends in uh, um, Connecticut and Springfield, Mass. He took him in. He did seances. And then as he became uh, better known, he wanted to be a doctor. But unfortunately, he had tuberculosis, and he wasn't strong enough to go through the program. So he, he chose mediumship as his career. And he went to England because he thought the climate would be better for him. And he met an uh, English nobleman by the name of Lord Adair. And he lived with Lord Adair in England in his estate. And they had these huge palladium windows. He was on the second floor one day, and the window was open. And he actually levitated out one window horizontally and made a beeline and came in a second window on the, sec on the second story of his house. And uh, several people saw him do it. Now, Harry Houdini always said he could duplicate it, but he never did. It was yeah, really he, quite I, Apparently, there was um, a date set that he would, and then he canceled, I think. Right. I, you can't fake it. This is an incredible, incredible no. Now, Now, well, in, the, in those cases, was it a spirit holding him and levitating him, or was he absolutely... Just, just utilizing the energy to levitate. Well, there are two theories. One is he may have had the ability to reverse gravity. Edgar Casey said that's how the pyramids were built. The uh -huh. Egyptians knew how to make stone float by reversing gravity. So that could be possible. The other is a more spiritualistic view, and that is the spirits may have been carrying him out one window and in another. Uh, it's hard to say. I think either uh, explanation would be plausible, but he did it. And he did these speech in front of educated people, newspaper reporters, and he was also tested by Sir William Crookes, a very famous physicist in England in the laboratory. And they devised an interesting test. They took an upside-down wire basket, and they put a top, and there was just a hole large enough for him to put one hand in the wire basket, and they put an accordion. And they had him hold the accordion by one end. Now, if you've ever played an accordion, you need two hands to play it. Yeah. Uh, and they also put copper wire around, electrified wire. And the interesting thing was the accordion played while he was only holding it by one hand in the laboratory. And then when he left, he dropped it completely. It still continued playing a tune. And that is an example of spirit manipulating the accordion. He also did trance seances for royalty and for very prominent uh, British subjects, such as uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning and her husband, Robert Browning. Now, Elizabeth Barrett Browning absolutely adored D.D. D. Hume. He was a tall, young, red-headed man. Um, he was good-looking. elegant dresser, very good-looking, very charming in his manner. And the ladies just loved him. Her husband, on the other hand, didn't care for him as much. And he actually made fun of him. He made a pulp, up a poem and he called him Mr. Flood. Hey, may I interrupt, please, just a second? Mm -hmm. um, for callers, we will take calls after the bottom of the hour. In the last 13 minutes, we'll take calls. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, so... Uh, D.D. Hume was tested quite a bit. Now, he married very well. He married into Russian nobility, so he, he really didn't have to charge for seances, which he never did. I uh, got a lot of publicity. And he, unfortunately, because of his uh, tuberculosis, 
had to stop mediumship in, I think, his late 30s or early 40s. <clears throat> but he, when he was working, he was quite good. Well, you know, I think it's just it's fascinating to note that, first of all, most of these people, you know, the only reason we know about all this is because they attracted some very famous, very influential people. Yes. But, but when it comes to those that were doing healings, they did mm-hmm. them for the poor. They and they and hey, oh, they charge yeah. they they charge those that could afford it. But um, but but basically, they were giving also they they were sharing of their talents and their skills with everyone. Many they were more. Yeah. Doctor James Newton did charge quite a bit for people could that could afford it, and people that could not afford it, he did it free of charge. Yeah, but no, I like, uh, Olivia Clement's father was quite wealthy. I think he paid several thousand dollars for the healing. But, but other but people when, who did work for free. Yeah, but what's really fascinating is that the reason we have such good records is because it attracted such an elite group of people Absolutely. who were fascinated with this. Absolutely. And, and it was accepted. That's the amazing thing that this was really accepted. The Hartford Times, the New Haven newspapers reported on these healings and the testimony in their newspapers well they had so they had you know come on come on they, they had harriet beecher stowe and they had mark twain and they had you know such such amazingly famous well-known people who were taking part in these things that that and sponsoring it and that's that's the that's the thing that that really is so impressive they were actually sponsoring these people so it was a, it it was it, it was you know uh, not not so much that that you know they 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 were just you know performing on the street corner they were sponsoring well, these people but i do have to say in the case of dr uh james um Roger Newton, that it was many times it was the middle class people that were sponsoring him, you know, uh-huh. merchants, horse traders, uh, because people were desperate in Victorian times to be healed. They didn't have the surgery that we have today. They didn't have the medicine. And people were very ill, and they had no way of getting well. So and, they were, and a lot, they were a lot of the, healing. A lot of the medicine was not good for them either. No. And, you know, Dr. Uh, James Rogers Newton did not start out as a healer. He was actually a wealthy wealthy, uh, merchant. He became uh, professionally wealthy uh, before he became a healer. Uh And he he was kind of brought into it. He was actually, um, he was born in September 1810 in Newport, Rhode Island. And he was a direct descendant of John Rogers, who was burnt at the stake. Interesting, huh? Uh-huh. And even though Newton knew he had healing powers early in life, he waited till later. He was a successful merchant for 20 years. And he wished to demonstrate how vital magnetic energy of the healer could produce instantaneous cures. And he says in his book, in 1853, Dr. Newton was a passenger on the steamer Golden Gate from Panama to San Francisco. On the second day, yellow fever broke out among the 1,300 passengers, which included several physicians. The fever raged for eight days with 74 persons dying and their bodies being consigned to the ocean. The ship surgeon lost every patient but one that he attended. 
Dr. Newton lost no patience. Amazing. He was an amazing healer. And he came to the attention of the Hartford area because of a uh, resident, Henry Hooker, who traveled uh, to Boston for a cure with Dr. Newton. He was a wealthy carriage dealer, and he was so impressed at being cured of a throat problem that he insisted on Dr. Newton coming to the Hartford and New Haven area and uh, sponsored him. And they set up these impromptu clinics, and uh, they invited people in, and everyone was given a ticket with a number on it. And it was done in a very orderly manner. He treated everyone regardless of means to pay, and he placed a card over the door of one of the parlors on which was written, Persons who cannot afford to pay are cordially invited to come without money and without price. So he was a very great person. And, you know, he cured people of tumors, epilepsy, uh, uh, disabled liver, kidneys, heart disease, ulcers, female disorders, and nervous disabilities. And these are all documented cures. Uh, Incredible healer, and he worked all over the United States. He had some interesting thoughts on health. He believed wearing garters made the feet cold and crippled limbs. I don't know, but I've always felt that way. I, I would never wear a girdle or a garter, but I don't like anything constricting the body. I think that's not good for you. Yeah, I agree um, with you. <laughs> and he also said to never sleep or sit with the hands up to the head. It will cause heart disease, consumption, liver complaints, and dyspepsia or indigestion. He believed that spirit magnetism, the life principle, may be imparted from one person to another and is the only power to truly heal the sick. Wow. Uh, my teacher, Gladys Customs, used to always say the only cure is a soul cure because you can cure one ailment, but if you don't cure the mental problem, the soul issue, the spiritual issue, it comes back in another direction. For instance, if you bite your nails, you may get rid of that and end up pulling your hair out. You have to really deal with the anxiety, the real issue underneath. No, I I really do believe that. That that makes a great deal of sense to me. And, you know, they call it a disease and it's a dis-ease. And um, it, it makes a great deal of sense to me. Now, I, I don't know how you... you um, you know, you weave bacterial stuff in there too, but but for the most part, I I, I truly believe that that illness comes from an emotional internal thing that is manifesting somehow physically mm-hmm. on your body. Absolutely, it is, and and uh, it's trying. It's a way of getting our attention. I think <laughs> illness is disharmony. It does get our attention. Oh, and yeah. uh, my aunt was a Christian scientist, and I have been cured by Christian science. So I know that mental healing does work. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was out with friends, and I unfortunately had shorts on. I was down in Baltimore, and I fell in a bush of poison oak, and I didn't realize I was a, deathly allergic to it, and I just broke out all over. And I had a new uh, job interview the following day, and there was no way I could go. I was just covered, my face, my legs, my arms. And I, I know you're not supposed to scratch poison oak, but I did scratch my legs a little bit. And um, my aunt said, now we're going to start praying. 
when she got out her science of mind and she sat me down and she prayed for a good hour. And finally, I said, I'm going to bed because I, I honestly did not believe in Christian science. Uh-huh. I know how teenagers are. They don't like to be prayed on anyway. Yeah. But the next morning, it was completely gone. The only remnants were where it had scratched. There were some scratches left, but that was it completely, completely gone. And that made me a believer in spiritual healing. And you can't say it was because I believed, because I didn't. I thought it was a lot of nonsense, but it worked. So, you know, if you truly are a powerful magnetic healer and you pray for someone and you send that magnetic energy out, it is possible to receive a spiritual healing. Absolutely. There's so many wonderful stories like that that I've heard from people over the years. Well, you know, and and they're out there. And I think what I what I am so fascinated with is the fact that fact that mediumship is really it feels like it's coming back into its own, which I'm very delighted for because um, you can give people such comfort about loved ones that have passed over, and you can give them um, such a, a wonderful feeling of completion and knowingness that that the people that they loved. Um, are, are are moving on that that they haven't gone into nothingness and uh, I I know that when my husband passed away people were very concerned because I I I I took it so well and I said look he he isn't gone he's just not here and 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 it's um it, it's an amazing comfort to know that that they do move on they do go on there is life beyond this life. As a matter of fact, it's an amazing new beginning and a fresh start, and um, it's an exciting time for them. I think when your work is done and you are at peace, it is a very exciting time. But as a medium, I can tell you that people who have unexpected deaths are very unsettled on the other side. You know, people that die from suicide, homicide, drug overdoses, they need a lot of prayers. They really do. One of the things we do in our Wednesday night group is we pray for what I call victims of suicide. People uh-huh. that have such severe depression, they just can't go on because they are struggling on the other side and they need our prayers as well as our help on this side of life. Uh, those of you who are listening, if you have any time at all to give for mental health, our mental health system is in collapse just about. People need to get help, and especially our veterans who oh, suffer yeah. from post-traumatic stress disorder are not getting the help that they need, and they, they need proper medical attention. They need our concern and our thanks for all they've done for us. So I hope that that will be addressed in our next presidential election, whoever becomes president, the mental health issue. Oh, yeah. That anyway... Was- it's interesting. From one time I was doing a reading for someone, and a gentleman the spirit came in, and he was very mad. He was hopping mad because he had been murdered. He was a social worker. So he started talking to his friend who was asking for a reading. I said, there's a gentleman here. He's middle-aged. He's a little heavy set. He's got brown hair, a little bald spot on the top. And he seems like he's very agitated. He's dressed in shorts and summer clothes. And he's showing me that he was shot in the head. And he's talking mad about it. 
And Sue said, oh, that's my friend Fred. He was he was killed. And I said, you know what made him so mad? Because uh, the spirit was talking to me. He knew the person that killed him. That's why he was mad. And wow. he actually let him in his house. And the man said, yes, there was no forced entry. They later found out that uh, he was a social worker that worked with offenders um, who were coming out of prison. And he had a party one night. And he invited some of the, his clients. Everything was fine, but he had a beautiful stereo set. And the, that evening, one of the clients came back and robbed him because he wanted the stereo set. And he woke up. And he wow. recognized the perpetrator. And this guy did not want to go back to jail. And so he was killed. And it was so sad because you could just feel the uh, spirit's anger, how unsettled he was and how he wanted to tell his friend what had happened. And uh, that was a tough reading to do. It really was because I could feel uh, the pain and the anguish. But I brought well, it through because I felt it was important to give the message and also maybe to have justice done in that particular case. Yeah. Um, it's We're into our last half hour now, and I did say that we would take one or two people for for demonstrations. And um, are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay, Patrick, um, because I can't see. We Who have, do we have? We have 804 with us. Okay. That's okay. all right now. Hello? Hello. I, I need voice <laughs> vibration, so if you could just give me your name. And Hi, my, my name is Jane. Excuse me, what's your name? Jane. Gee, and if you could Jean, just give yes. me the birth and uh, day of your birth, not the year, just your, your month and day of birth. 3-26. Okay, I had a feeling you were going to say Aries. Gene, one <laughs> of the things I, I, I just had that feeling, I feel about you is that you're a person who likes to be very busy. You're also a person that at the present time is bringing in the spirit of an elderly lady, slender build who did a lot of crocheting. Would that have been one of your grandmothers or aunts? Um, it could have been one of my aunts, yes. Okay, because I thought she loved to crochet squares, and then she would sew the squares together to, milk, uh, to make beautiful quilts. And um, uh, people really appreciated her crocheting. And as she got older, it was frustrating because she had some arthritis in her hands. Would you be able to that verify almost that? Sounds, that almost sounds like my mother, but my mother is still here. No, this lady's in the spirit world, so I feel odd. And I felt the arthritis in her hands would bother her. Now, she's coming in because she's uh, also bringing in uh, the name of Mary. Do you know Mary in spirit? Um, I really can't think of anyone at this time. I'm sorry. That's okay. If you could write this down, people tell me all the time. I'm feeling like a great aunt, Mary. And I also have a lady here that was more heavy set. And I felt average in height, maybe a little taller, maybe five six, five seven. And I felt that uh, she goes back a ways because of her hairstyle. She wore her hair straight back. She also always wore dresses, and I think you would only know this lady more from a picture than having known her in person. And she loved to wear those old-fashioned tie shoes, 
Uh, and I felt that she was the type of person that was uh, that died probably in her middle years. And to me, middle years would be about late 40s, early 50s. Can you recognize her? Mm, way back. Nope, you got me again. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get my paper and pencil and start writing here. You should, because you'd be surprised. Anyway, you would know this lady from a picture, and she's dressed like they, the people would have in the 1920s, 30s. And she says you never knew her in real life, but she does come in. Now, I also feel you're a person that has some interest in history. Do you? I do. And I think that. It's fascinating because you seem to bring through relatives that go back a ways, which is important. Now, I have a gentleman here who comes in and he, uh, he wore a three-piece suit like they did in the 1930s and 1920s. Uh-huh. And he's got a pocket watch. And I felt the pocket watch was uh, passed down uh, from generation to generation. So do you know an elderly uh, relative that passed on a pocket watch? Um, boy, you are really getting me. No, I don't. <laughs> okay, because um, I, I can see the pocket watch is gold, and he was, and he's showing me it because he was very, very punctual about time. Now, I do feel a father's vibration in the spirit world. Is your father in spirit? He is. Okay, and I, was he very punctual about time? He was very punctual about time. Okay, so I think that is a message from Spirit that your father is here. And he wants you to be a little more punctual about time as well. I'm picking up the name of Charles, you know, Charles in Spirit, and also James. Charles? Uh, I don't know, James, and actually, I wonder, I wonder, um, I have a, a friend whose brother, Charles, had passed. And That's some of these. Dispar- That's him. Charles is, he gave me a nod. He's in the room with me. I'm a clairvoyant. And he just nodded and gave me a smile. He's here. And he wants to be remembered to your friend. Because I call this a bleed in. You call for a reading, but you know your friend's uh, loved ones come in too. And he just wants his, if, um, your friend to know he's okay. If I am put okay. together what you're saying, with the person who crocheted and did stuff, that would have been Marie's mother. That would have been my friend's mother. That's a description. That's wonderful. They're coming in together. They're coming in together. Now, I also have somebody who uh, comes in with the name James or Jim. Do you know who that would be? Uh, mm. Well, now you're coming up with these names that are so way out in left field for me. No, I'm oh, sorry. Charles I really don't know. Direct- you recognize Charles, so that's one. You recognize um, the lady that did the crocheting, that's another. And sometimes yeah. James or Jim may go back in the family and you may not immediately recognize them. You also recognized your father as being very punctual. He came in. Um, now, yeah, my, um, my father was, your a, mother? was a sergeant. Yes, he was. Everything had to be just so, on time and done correctly. And right. that's something that he's calling your attention to. Now, he's also calling my attention to a lot of paperwork around you. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And he wants you not to be overwhelmed by it, but to organize it more. Um, uh-huh. And he says if you do that, he will help you. You know, maybe maybe organize it in a pile. has to be done today, can be done tomorrow, and we'll do this next week. Because your gotcha. father was like that. It's 
if something had to be done today, it had to be done today. Sure. He was very strong. And he's a protector. He watches over you and protects you. So I think that's very important. And could you just give me your mother's first name, please? I want to vibrate with her. Alma. Alma. I I feel that um, I'm going into the eyes a little bit. Is she had some issues in that direction? Yes, she does. And your father is very aware of that. And he says she can get some, she needs more help with it. So okay. keep, make sure she keeps up her doctor's appointments, that she follows through on prescriptions and medications. Because this is very important. I know as we age, we all have what I call uh, things that go, uh, disabilities that come in. But with your mother, we want to watch the eyes. I also am coming into um, vibration with someone that had knee problems. Knee problems. Oh Lord, that could that could encompass a whole lot of people. Okay. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm with a gentleman, not a woman, and I mm-hmm. felt he might have had knee replacements before he died. At least one knee replacement. He does come in. He was. I feel not a relative. I'm more like a friend. Um. Yes, I know who it may have been. Yes. Okay, and he's so he's so happy to come in. He really enjoys letting you know that he can walk by now, no problem. He's mm-hmm. kind of dancing around to let me know that he did make a good transition. That's he wonderful because I I never saw him walk. No, he says I'm walking now, and I made a good transition. I'm getting the That's name of Richard. Can you recognize Richard? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. And he comes in with another big smile, and he's so glad to greet you. I feel you're very much a person that's a giver. Do people say that about you, Jean? They have, yes, from time to time. And you're a caregiver? Yes, I am. And I feel very close to your mother. I feel you've yes. been a big help to her. And your father is very, very proud of you for all that you're Well, good. I doing. owe him one. <laughs> I know. So many people who have helped us, you know, they die before we get a chance to help them. But he is very, very proud of you. Now, I, I do feel that you may be taking a trip. Okay? You're planning a trip down south? I could. Okay. I, I feel Give me a little encouragement. <laughs> I felt there's an invitation or reason for going. And I feel yeah. it's going to be within the next uh, three to four months. It'll be very pleasant and it'll be a good diversion for you. Wonderful. So we all need a little diversion. I know I just came back from um, spending five days at um, Omega in upstate New York. I felt like I'd oh, been away wonderful. a month. It was so relaxing. So relaxing. Wonderful. I got from Brazil. He's a great Brazilian healer. Wonderful. But, you know, getting away is sometimes the best thing. You're away from telephones, from uh, TV for a little bit, a change of pace. It's very good for all of us. So I'm going to yeah. leave you that message with the blessings of spirit. Thank you, and bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. Bye-bye. Okay. So we've also got nine, 918 here. Hi, who is this? Hi, it's Deb. Hi, Deb. I can't quite hear you. What, Deb? Okay, Deb. Nice to meet you, Deb. I, I don't need to meet you. Birthday. 
but can you just give me the month and day of your birth? January 15th. Okay. Well, Deb, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Now, I'm feeling a lot of mental energy around you. Did you ever have an interest in teaching, communications, or anything sales? <laughs> uh, no, but <laughs> I'm going to school. You are, because I felt yellow is often education and mental energy. So it, you, that's exactly what you should be doing, going to school. Because I saw your mental aura expanding. You know, we have several auras. And I saw you, I came right into the mental aura. And I felt school is good for you. And you're one of these people, you do not waste your time, money, or energy. You're going to school. Yep. You're going to complete the course of study. And you're going to utilize it. So I feel very, very good with it, Yeah. I also feel that uh, there's an elderly gentleman here who died probably in his 80s that comes in. And he did lose a bit of weight before he died. I felt that he was, um, he just kind of faded away. Would that be your grandfather? Um, it could be, but it's, it sounds more like my dad. Okay, because he just faded away is what he said. And I thought when mm -hmm. he was himself, he was very vital. He was the yes. type of person that you knew he was in the room. You knew he was around, and he was strong-willed. But at the end, he was he was very weak, and it was sad to see him go like that. I also have yes. somebody that's in your show, D. Would it be a David or a Daniel here? Yes, could be a Daniel. There's, there's a couple I'm, of them. I'm going to say hello. And who is Daniel to you? Uh, great uncle. Because this is a relative. I wanted to be sure we had the right one. He's nodding, so I got the right one because Daniel's a common name. And he's very fond of you, and he brings in good energy. I'm going to bring you an old-fashioned name of Arthur. I have an Arthur here that wants to be remembered to. Could you recognize that? No, not really, but <laughs> I won't doubt it. No. There's a lot you of relationships over there. You're going to find know. Arthur close by because they, they, they knew each other. I'll leave it at that. Now, I okay. also feel a lot of uh, that when you were working, I can see you at a desk. Did you do more office work? Um, I, I was in health care. Okay, but did you do a lot of paperwork? Yes, yes. Because I developed that, that uh, you did a good job, but I felt you got a little tired of the paperwork. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, and it does. You would be very good in, in health care because you're very conscientious. The next color I see in your aura is a golden yellow, and then I see a beautiful green. And the green is a color of people that like, uh, likes to get along with others. Now, I also feel around and about you, there's a woman here that spoke a language other than English. Do you know who that would be? Uh, it could be... Two people, yes. Okay. Did one speak Italian? Uh, no, okay. neither spoke Italian. Okay. I'm going to say there's a woman here. I feel she was a neighbor. I thought either French or Italian was her first language. She comes in. And then I have somebody here that's either uh, German or uh, Polish. Yeah, yes. That, it's Finn, Polish, and German, yes. Okay, because they come in, and I feel that they're a couple. There's a man and a woman together. Yes, my grandparents. 
and they they uh, that was their first language, and they are very yeah. strong around you. They watch out for you. They help you to make decisions, and I feel your finances could be a little stronger. Do you feel that way, Deb? Yes, I do. <laughs> and you know, I guess who doesn't, right? But they're just yeah. saying, you know. Uh, a penny saved is a penny earned. That's Ben Franklin. But your grandparents are encouraging you to just put a little bit aside. You know, if you can't mm-hmm. save 10%, save 5%. Because right. I feel they that was how they were. They planned to take care of themselves. They weren't looking yes, for the government. To take, and they did it. They, they, they were very careful, and they made sure there was money to pay the bills. And you're like that, and they're encouraging you to keep up that attitude. Very strong around you and very, very protective. Now, I feel you have some interest in metaphysics. Is that correct? Yes. And you have a little bit of psychic ability, and it comes in hunches. You'll get a hunch, and it'll turn out to be true. So I would pay a little more attention to your hunches because your grandparents are the ones that are helping you with that, especially especially the grandmother. Very loving, very protective of family, and she's going to make sure that you finish your school and that things get you on the right path. Okay, thanks, Grandma. (laughs) Yeah, she's there. You can put a picture of your grandparents out. That's always a great thing to do. They love to be recognized. So I'm going to leave you that message with the blessings of the spirit world. Blessings back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Barb. Thank you. Um, We've got time for just one more, and that would be Wally. Hi, Wally. Welcome, Wally. And Wally, can can you just give me your month and day of birth? March 8th. Okay. Well, you know, you're a Pisces. Pisces is a very wonderful sign because they're sensitive. Edgar Casey was a Pisces. But, you know, in your case, I feel you use your sensitivity to help others. And I also feel you have some mechanical ability. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's a good thing these days. Skills pay. And <laughs> there's a gentleman in spirit that was also very mechanical. And he could fix just about anything. And he used to, he had a homemade uh, box, a wooden box that he would carry his tools around. And he was very fussy about his tools. Would that be your father or grandfather? Oh, man. And let's go further with this. He was a taller gentleman, about uh, six foot. Oh, probably Nick. Good friend of mine. Okay. He's a great guy on the other side, and he's helping you with your repairs and your and your your work. And um, I feel that you're one of these people. You're very uh, definite in how you do things. You have yeah. very definite ideas. You like to do it your way. Yeah. And Nick says he's going to help you. Now I also have a gentleman here was into ham radio. God, something's ringing a bell, but I just can't come up with it. Goes back to when you were younger, but he does come in, and he was an older man then. But he okay. liked that, and he liked that. You know how people go out in the garage and put the, the radio set in, the headphones? And he liked talking to people. 
He comes in with very good energy. Now, I'm going to go out to the West Coast with you. Do you have family or friends west of the Rockies? I have a sister out there. Could it be good news from your sister? Yeah, that'd be great. Haven't talked to her in 25 years. It's time. It's time to call. Maybe it's Christmas time. <laughs> I feel if you called, she would be very receptive to the call. Interesting. And if you're shy, send her a Christmas card. You could just say, miss you. Hope things are going well. Uh, I think you'll be glad you did. I was going out toward, uh, toward California. Now, I also feel that you want to take a trip. Do you want to go to Arizona, Nevada way? Yeah, New Mexico. I, that's the way I'm going. Not all the way to California, but oh. I'm going southwest, and I feel you're going to make the trip. Good. I want and to find I, that... I want to find that treasure that, uh, well, what was his name that hit it in the, <clears throat> the National Forest there? I don't know, but I do see you going southwest, and I feel that you... Yeah. <laughs> no, now, no. I, I haven't talked too much about guides, Wally. Are you into spirit guides? Go ahead. Yes, because I tell you have an American Indian as a guide. And I think if you go out to the Southwest, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, you're just going to really enjoy the trip. And I feel your spirit guide is going to bring you to something to do with American Indians. <clears throat> so that will also be an important part of the trip. And what I like about you, Wally, is you're very truthful. And you tell it like it is. Do people say that about you? Uh, I always say the wrong thing they say. That's okay. You just, you you call it as you see it. The wrong thing at the wrong time, they say. I think it's delightful. I think you're very honest, and it's not just saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. They're just not ready to hear it. That's what it is. Now, I do have a dog here. It's a, a brown and white dog, a larger dog. Did you move a dog? Uh, it could be Sandy, one of my first uh, dogs. Great dog, and he kind of nuzzles up to your leg. And I thought you are a dog lover, that you took good care of Sandy. Now, I have a gentleman here who wore wire rim glasses. He was balding on the top. He had light brown hair. And when he was feeling well, he liked, to, he liked the outdoors. Was that your father or grandfather? Wire rim, it had to have been my grandfather. He just loved the outdoors. He didn't want to be cooped up. And I think he was fiercely independent. And I think you're a little bit like him, Wally. <laughs> he does. He, he says you're a chip off the old block. Well, I live on a river in the middle of the woods. He loves it. That's what he would do. He <laughs> loves it. And and you're not lonely because, because you are filled with a sensitivity to nature, to the spirit world, and you like your peace and quiet. Yes, yes. And Joey respects that, my little cocker, black cocker spaniel. Isn't that nice? Now, I do have a Joseph or a Joe in spirit. Do you know who that would be? Could have been my brother, Joseph. He hasn't he come older. through yet. Yeah, he's so happy to come through. I brought through your grandfather and father, but Joseph is here. And I, I think he just wants you to know that he's okay. Oh, that could be my mother's husband, too. He was uh, Lakota. Was, he, was his name Joseph? 
Yeah, Oscar, but I think it was Joseph also. No, I, I have to say, I feel I'm with your brother. I okay. do. Your brother, Joe. He's here. Now, I feel you have a Lakota Indian guy. You know, those Lakota Indians were very much into the psychic. Yeah. If you read about them, they had wonderful uh, ceremonies. They communed with the great white spirit. And you do have a Lakota American Indian as a guide. I'm so glad we could place him. Nice. I could feel the American Indian around you, but I wasn't sure which one he was. The minute you said Lakota, I saw him jump up in the air. He was so happy. Yeah, my mother and now, him reunited 69 years later. Isn't that something? Now, there's somebody around you that had an alcohol problem. Was it your stepfather? <laughs> my father, my sisters. <laughs> I'm with a father then. I'm with a gentleman, not a, not a woman, who, who died, who had a problem with alcohol. He liked water, too, and maybe three or four. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's kind of sorry about that, Wally. He says, I should have known better. I, I never helped anything. He did the best he could do. He had a hard life, and that was his way, I guess, of, of self-medicating. I think so. I think so, from what I've heard. He didn't mean anything by it. certainly wouldn't hurt anybody, but he's a little ashamed of his behavior. He is. That'd be my father. <laughs> Your father, he says, I could have done a better job. He did and the he's best. Very, he's a hard worker. Yeah, yep, he was. Yep, he did the and best felt, he knew how to do. And I thought he did physical work, too. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not easy. But he did it. He didn't complain because he was doing it for his family. And I feel he just wants you to know that he loves you very, very much. And if uh, if you need any help, he says, call on me. He's funny. He says, I'll be there. And he was very loyal. He's a loyal person. Love you, Dad. You, he loves you, that's for sure. So I, I do feel that you are uh, very close to retirement. Is that correct? Uh, 58. Oh, well, that's close. Another <laughs> six years. I'd say less than seven, you're going to retire. Nah. Not that you have to, but I think you're going to want to. You might go down to part-time or, or seasonal work or shift a bit. That's what that's what your father is saying. He says you're close to retirement, about seven years. You're going to shift, and it's going to be good for you. Very good for you. Um, and he's what he's helping you from the other side to see the possibilities. He says, you you don't always like, you're a little bit rigid, Wally, and you don't always open up to all the possibilities. So, and I also see going up to Maine. Do you have family in that area? Not that I know of. Okay, I would say it's going to be not, I feel it's in the summertime. It's either summer of 2017 or definitely by 2018 you'll have made the trip to Maine. And you're not just going any place in Maine. I see you going on the coast of Maine. You know, Maine is a beautiful, rocky coast. I felt close to the co uh, Maine, but on the coastal part of Maine. Would that be by um, sailboat? Could be. It's going to be fun. I want, I want a big fun. sailboat to live on. Yes. Well, I do feel you love the water, and I feel you get a lot of peace. And you prefer the ocean to fresh water. I felt that's very strong around you. I grew up now, on I Lake have Michigan. To give, 
Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I do have to tell you, there's somebody who died very suddenly in a car accident. Female? Yes. Fran. She wasn't ready. She was not ready. Um, but she said she went quick. She didn't suffer, but it was very, very unexpected. Yes, very unexpected. Yeah. And sometimes accidents are not necessarily accidents. Sometimes there's something karmic. I don't know if you're leaving karmic, but it was just her time to go. She does come in. And I also have a young man who also died in an accident, but it was not a car. It was a motorcycle accident. So you're going to have to go back a little ways for him. Mm, God, yeah. Yeah, Don't think too much. We're talking like the 1980s. We're going back. But he 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 just he he just took a wrong turn. Yeah. In, you recognizing him? I I am, but I'm not. I mean, I I'm something's clicking, but I can't picture it right at the moment. But yes, there was. Yeah. It was just it was very sad. But he says, you know what? It was. He also says it was my time to go. He does. Now, I feel you have a lot of good spirits around you because I feel you're a very loyal person, a very honest person, and you have your Lakota Indian guide helping yeah. you out. Yeah. The one thing I would say, if I had you in my office, you've got to watch out. Sometimes you're a little down in the moccasins. <laughs> you can get a little bit stuck. Yep, so I'm stuck right now. You need to keep moving. I do. A little bit, little bit. But yes, I know exactly what you're saying there. Yeah. Take a two-mile walk. You'll forget what you're depressed about. I, I do Well, I hate to do this to you guys. <laughs> That's all right, Barbara. It's just been a pleasure for what I did here, and thank you very much. Well, thanks well, for calling in, Wally. Thank you for calling. Sharing with us. And Bob, yeah, we're going to get together to do your intro here real shortly. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Hey, Wally. Good, good to hear you. Good to hear you too, Patrick. Okay. Well, I, I want to get out, first of all, um, her her most recent book, which which I thoroughly enjoyed, was Connecticut in the Golden Age of Spirit, Spiritualism. And Elaine's website is www theartofmediumship.com. Yes, and there's um, a lot of free things on the last tab under uh, media. I have some videos of lectures I've done, and um, we hope we can put a tape of this section, uh, session on also. People love stories. I will absolutely send you the MP3 tomorrow. Thank you. People love it. Thanks for calling, and thanks for being here, everybody. See you next week. Monday. <laughs> and thank you, Barbara, for having me on your show. You were a pleasure to talk to. Oh, anytime, Elaine. This was fun. Thanks thanks so much for being here. Okay, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye now. Barbara DeLong, host of Nightlight Radio, inviting you to join me on a cosmic journey, exploring a metaphysical montage of spiritual material, 
covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between, including spiritual readings for those who seek enlightenment. Let Nightlight provide you with equal measure of light, love and laughter, insight, wisdom, and inspiration. Monday nights, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern, right here on Studio B, Revolution Radio, at freedomslips.com. Who are we? Where do we come from? Are you curious about the origins of the human race? Join me, Gavin McCall, and a variety of guests on Ancient Humans, where we decipher world events, explore science,